Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. It is a good day. Um, yeah. How about you? It's good. It's a good day to be in the bull market. Something I was talking to Ryan about recently and some other people is that like, you know, it, it, the, the cycles go in sinusoid waves, right? It's a cycle. And we're at one point in the cycle, but the cycles aren't like uniform or choppy. Like, like the, the time is different. And so like the bull market part of these crypto cycles is very like sharp and pronounced, but overall is com- it's compressed in time. And then those bear markets and all the other things that aren't the bull market actually take up the majority of people's time. So it's probably time to reflect on how we're lucky to be in a bull market like there's not that many instances of bull markets and we're in one right now and so we should all appreciate that because it's going to be over before we know it yeah for sure and with that being said like the bear market does have a lot of benefits right like a lot lot less noise that's what the bear market is about like the bear market there's so little noise that all you can do is argue which is I mean, some of it can be annoying, but a lot of it like really sharpens your knife and sharpens your arguments and makes you uh, makes you better. Like that's the kind of discourse that for me made Twitter so interesting the last few years. Now it's it's a very different vibe. Absolutely. Yeah. What's nice about uh, bear markets is that everyone in the bear market is obviously in it for the long term game. Right. There are long term players in bear markets by definition, because who else would be in the industry during a bear market other than somebody who knows that they can stick through it for, you know, better times in the future, hence playing long-term games. Um, However, everyone gets to have their first shot at playing the game. And that's what, that's what bull markets are all about. Yeah. I mean, and with that being said, like both you and I got pulled in during a bull market. Most people get pulled in into bull markets the years that, you know, often come up are 2013, uh, 2017. Mm -hmm. I think 2021 is going to be a big year for a lot of people and their first experience with Bitcoin and crypto. So uh, very exciting. But at the same time, like how do you how do you go from tri- like thinking about the bear market or not even understanding crypto at all to like now I'm in a B- Bitcoin bull market and like all of this stuff is happening so much stuff is happening so much noise is everywhere mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like how do you how do I come to understand what's basic? true Yeah I mean in like here's the thing like hardliners who have been in it for a long time like they're a lot of them like they maybe get through the bull market and it's great or whatever but a lot of them don't maximize what they could have gotten out of it right like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of like in terms of like this huge opportunity to make a lot of money like i feel like uh there's a very specific type of mentality yeah i'm reminded of uh, daniel kahneman's thinking fast and slow where uh you know he he promotes like not not being impulsive basically right and like thinking through your decisions and really really rationalizing about it and i guess that's not really like smart advice like duh um but just i think impulse control and be mainly being zen i would say the the main difference between who i am as a person in in 2021 versus 2017 is i've committed more more time to practicing like just mindfulness and just being aware of myself. And I think that as a skill is 
perhaps one of the best features you could bring into a, a bull market where by definition, like everything is so emotionally driven. Like when, when tokens and Bitcoin and ether are painting all time high after all time high, like, like we said before, and, and like, like I've been saying on the bankless pod, like re, uh, fundamentals are out and there's only reflexivity. And what reflexivity is, is mainly emotions, right? And so if your emotions are out of whack, like you're probably not going to make it fam. Like you got to get your emotions like in a line. You have to, you have to make slower trades. You have to be more patient about things. And like, I, I want to bring this up. I'm sure you saw Ivan's uh, respect the pump video. Yeah. So, so it was all about, um, respecting the pump, like letting the pump come into your life. If you, if you see a token pumping, that's not yours and you don't have that token, you don't like feel jealousy of that pump. You say like, congratulations to those bag holders. Congratulations. You guys got your pump. And if you give out that, that good vibes, you will get those good vibes in return. Like in turn, you will receive the pump if you are just patient. And I feel like that's like, you can either chase the pump or you can have, or or you can let the pump come to you, and like that, it's kind of a nice to way to like rid yourself of FOMO if you think in that way. Just like you know, be patient and like accept the pump into your life, and eventually the pump will come to you and give you its blessings. There's a very easy way to continuously get the pump, and that is just DCA into really good assets. So obviously, I think that that is you should be DCAing into Bitcoin. Um, it's up to you if you want to DCA into Ether or any other crypto thing. But in terms of respecting the pump and and minimizing FOMO, building a position, you know, mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not a trader. Like it, a lot of traders will say, you should ape into stuff. But <laughs> I mean, unless like it is truly that kind of action, like I I just feel like you should make a decision. I like this thing for whatever reason. Hopefully it uh, has a lot of signs of a quality asset that you want to hold for a long, long period of time and you have confidence and conviction in it and build a position. And before you know it, you feel like you have these positions and these pumps are happening and you're like, oh, I'm good. I got it. I have a position. You don't even really care about your entry price that much because it was by definition just lower than it is now. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. I was talking, I was talking to my sister uh, this morning and I was telling her I'm writing this, like uh, this opening market Monday note for, for the bankless newsletter. And I talk about some of these dynamics, but, and I, and I realized there's something about these crypto markets that are inherently um, not, not intuitive to people coming into this space, which is like, I, I mean, maybe, maybe your plan is different, but like I plan on quote unquote, trying to sell the top, right? Like I, I plan on trying to sell the top so that I can buy the bottom. And I'm not saying like 100% of my assets, but like a pretty substantial amount, like probably over 50% of my crypto assets I'll sell, try and sell at the top. And the whole intention of that is so that I can buy more at the bottom. Like if we know these cycles work in cycles, then, um, then that seems like a relatively acceptable trade to make that's rational. And that's something that people aren't ready, like aren't equipped to understand about because like people like my sister, which is where this conversation came about. It's like, she's like an SNP, you know, 401k investor, right? Like time in the market beats timing the market, blah, 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 blah. We've all heard it a thousand times before, but people aren't equipped to like try and actually think of this crypto um, uh, movement in cycles. Like I remember in 2017, I was like, 
this is a new paradigm. Like there is no, there is no bear market after this. Like it's, 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 this is it, this is it into the future. Uh, and so I'll never have to sell. And that was a mistake. And so like this time I'm thinking about selling the top to buy back the bottom. And I don't think most, most people, most retail people aren't equipped to come into this market, understanding that strategy. Yeah. I mean, so this is where I think there needs to be a significant distinction in your bags, at least for me. Um, and to be honest, if your sister is the kind of person that is like DCA into her dollar cost average into her 401k position, which is all highly diversified index funds, she shouldn't fucking touch tokens. She just should not. That's just a fact. She should, she should DCA into Bitcoin. And I mean, she knows you. So DCA into Ethereum too. Like. Mm-hmm. I, like, oh, my I sister isn't so, interested on in buying anything. She just happened to call. But, but yeah, so like, but if she like, if someone like her is trying to get mm-hmm. into crypto and Bitcoin, like, don't <laughs> fucking touch any token because of course she's not going to have the mentality bandwidth, any mm-hmm. any of the prerequisites to properly time a market, um, unless you are literally doing it for her which is a different situation. Mm-hmm. So she should just build a position in Bitcoin and Ethereum. I would say never stop DCing. Just literally put whatever amount of money, like imagine a hamburger. Okay, how much does that cost? Or imagine a meal that is like, you would easily get that for lunch without flinching. Mm-hmm. Take that amount, DCA, DCA a weekly amount into Bitcoin and Ethereum, and then never stop. Yeah, see the problem that's, with that. That's how, so- that is how 99% of people should be dealing with with these things the, the problem with that though is like people want to play the token game right like no one no one wants to come into the world of crypto cryptos and like not play with tokens like you're gonna have to scratch that itch somewhere yeah well i mean that's the the, the world is speculating on stuff a lot more right now because that's yeah. the incentive like their mm-hmm. asset their cash is trash they see all the volatility and upside in stuff and everyone it's so sexy to be a trader like tiktok investor and all this stuff like work oh my from God, home yeah i'm a trader i'm just gonna pick stocks they go up i trading cash out. is just like disgustingly glorified it's so glorified right now and it's the path to being wrecked unless you know what mm-hmm. you're doing so like yeah. for example david and i and i would guess a majority of the people that are listening especially longtime listeners of pov crypto yeah. mm-hmm. know what they're doing they've been mm-hmm. here for the bear market this is a right. bear market podcast yeah. this podcast <laughs> didn't exist in a bear market before this, yeah. this Re- is- retail isn't listening to pov crypto <laughs> straight up the P- season one is the bear market pov season mm-hmm. two which is right now episode three <laughs> is bull market pov so um this is season two and we're we are as a cohort of now longtime crypto holders and mm-hmm. participants mm-hmm. are, um, you know, we are exploring the bear market, the bull market, and we're going to talk about how to optimize on some of this stuff. But if you're new to this, like, don't hurt your shit. Don't hurt yourself. <laughs> you're going to get wrecked. There's a lot of people who know a lot more than you. Uh, one of my one of my friends is making plays into like cross chain tokens, so tokens that are representative of like cross chain assets. So like Ren would be one of these tokens, or like uh, what's the other one? 
uh, uh, boring, boring DAO, boring like a boring tunnel, like between two, uh, between two blockchains. So they they've specifically made a position into these tokens because of how on the thesis that like retail just loves cross chain plays and don't they don't understand like how stupid cross chain plays are as an asset to to make an investment in. And so like there, there are people out there who are speculating just on peak, like retail, just like retailness, right? That's, to me, that's like a pretty interesting indication to how, how fucking stupid some people are who are about to come into this space. Well, before the SEC stopped XRP, like that's the only reason to buy XRP. Oh yeah, that's a hundred, that's a hundred percent true. That's exactly so right. So XRP is the token that like that it just you know personifies mm-hmm. tokenizes if you will that <laughs> exact mentality so, but, so let's talk about like why to, tokens have like an intrinsic relationship and not just tokens but now tokens it used to be other l1 assets but now it's kind of consolidated into tokens tokens are the meme for like alt seasons like all see DeFi season is the new alt season because people like tokens people like investable assets to play with and speculate on and gamble with. And then there's certain amount of uh, cognitive dissonance that people have when they come into this space where they like don't want to admit to themselves or to others that they missed out on Bitcoin because, you know, we heard about Bitcoin in 20, you know, 13, and then we all heard about Bitcoin again in 2017. And now it's 2021. And like, you know, you, you still haven't bought any Bitcoin. Like what the fuck are you doing? You've been hearing about it for like almost a decade now, never actually bought it. Now it's $40,000. Like what are you, what are you going to do? Are you going to finally buy Bitcoin? Or are you going to speculate on a low cap altcoin, like a, De- a DeFi token that could like 10,000 X? Like, what are you going to do? You're going, you're going to play the, the, the DeFi token, the, the shitcoin game for well, sure. And the, here's the thing is to a lot of people entering the market, they don't understand the difference really between mm-hmm. other cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So I would say that a lot of it is just like, just not not telling the difference, not differentiating. So um, I think the value of Bitcoin and a like a quality asset is something that kind of builds over time. You just see it. So, um, you know, there's, there's a learning curve for sure. Yeah. Plus like there, there's the, the reflexivity nature of this industry where like if everyone else is buying tokens and everyone else will be buying tokens, right? Like, well, now you're buying like XYZ token. So I'll buy XYZ token. Like, it's just like a, a risk on time of the cryptocurrency industry and like risk and on this is, is a, not Bitcoin. This is the time well, wait, where Bitcoin gets outperformed. Well, I mean, yeah, sure. Uh, yes. Uh, it's also a very risk on time in the world period. Again, we're talking about the glorification of trading, uh, the mm-hmm. gains and volatility in uh, in all equity markets. Um, so we're we're just all risk on right now. And yep. yeah, I mean, there's a lot of appeal to to tokens and Bitcoin and Bitcoin maximalism is kind of counterintuitive, right? It's mm-hmm. very counterintuitive to someone who's not like into this into Bitcoin um, because the world is all about and the fiat realm is all about diversification and um, mm-hmm. spreading your beds and getting into working capital and all this stuff. Right. And then Bitcoin is just like, no mm-hmm. <laughs> hard money. Yeah. That's it. Right. 21 million, like no diversification. So it's just like that, that is a, is a very different me- mental model, I think from what most people have. 
Yeah, that, that is, there is an interesting like juxtaposition behind like Bitcoin or culture, which is like generally a, you know, conservative, um, responsible, like non-apey uh, uh, group of people. Yet Bitcoin itself is branded as like this highly speculative asset that's super volatile that like if you come into if you come into cryptocurrencies, like you're risking it all. But like Bitcoiners are like the most non-riskiest of people. They're the most non-riskiest of of the uh, of the whole entire industry, right? They're ta- they're taking the least risky asset with the the least volatile price movements out of this whole industry, and so like there's a complete flip where like the Bitcoiners are kind of like the the uh, the risk uh, off people, right? Because that's that's what Bitcoin Definitely. is. Except Bitcoin is like the risk off asset, and it, the ironic the irony of it is that when it ever it goes up in price, it creates a risk on environment. That's an interesting tension to think about. Yeah, I mean, I just think that right now there's just it's a mental model shift that the world is having and that mental model shift is that's like that's the adoption curve, right? Is the mental model shift between the fiat realm and then the 21 million realm. So, uh yeah, the bitcoiners already know that bitcoin is the safest asset in the world. No one else gets that yet. That's why they're yeah. confusing it with other cryptocurrencies which are a lot more speculative and a lot more volatile and mm-hmm. I mean that's that's why I think that there's probably a pretty big divide between people who are interested in Ethereum and tokens and people who are like long term interested in Bitcoin because they do offer very different things. Right. Yeah. And, and I would say that that's a concept that I don't think very many Ethereans understand. Um, I mean, if we if we talked about like the risk off nature of Bitcoin, they would probably throw a, a number of flags flags with that. Like they would pr- perhaps say, well, that's just like an- another narrative regard that's perhaps not not actually brought up in in reality um i don't really know if that's worth going into but uh they they would say either disagree with it or perhaps misinterpret or misunderstand it yeah i mean i don't know if this is the right time to talk about cognitive dissonance but i think both (laughs) bitcoiners and ethereans have a lot of cognitive dissonance for each other and like realms that the the technology fill yeah, it's like I've always not enjoyed like people's criticisms of other people when they say like, oh, like that's your bag bias. Like you're, you're just speaking your bags because like, why would you buy your bags against any other like belief system that you don't have? Like, are you supposed to be buying assets that you don't have those beliefs in? Because like, how are you supposed to like pitch the value proposition of your asset without being able to like, quote unquote, speak your bags? Like, that's why you own it in the first place. It's because you can talk about it. Um but at the same time, there is 100%. Well, there's even like maliciousness where like people people get a bunch of like discounted tokens or just like, you know, shit that they didn't actually work for. And there's incentive to like pump something. But other than that, it's just like some people just identify with certain like, I would say Ethereans, like so like something, somebody like Antipro, he would say that like Ethereum or Ether is actually the mo- the world's most risk off asset because like ETH- Ethereum 2.0 is the most, the world's most sustainable like blockchain. And it's supposed to be like uh, infinitely like persistent. Um, so there, like I said, there will still be debates, but yeah, generally the, the camps seem to be, have uh, drawn a line between them. Well, I mean, I would say that people like uh, anti believe that ethereum has all of bitcoin's properties and then more and i would say that i would that, agree with this <laughs> that's that's pretty far that's pretty far from the truth um really they have very different properties and you can see that in like like in the instantiation of the people who are using the the assets so like 
I don't think that there's a lot of people who are involved in the Ethereum community that have the exact same belief structure as anti about Ethereum. But every single person in the Bitcoin ecosystem has the exact same idea of Bitcoin as this ex- incredibly, incredibly safe haven. Like mm-hmm. safety in SATs is a mantra that is a thing in the Bitcoin community. Um, right. So like, let's talk about which one actually kind of has those properties like really, really freaking shining through. I think it's pretty clear. Yeah, I, I think it all just boils down to like, how well do you accept that? Like, there, there's there's two main characteristic differences. Bitcoin is a finished project, and all it has to do is continue, right? More or less. Uh, and then Ethereum, or or and do you value that? And do you value how quickly that thing became finished and perpetuating and totally like outside of the hands of humans? Like, and I mean, that, that I think- is. That is something that is really. I feel like that's a slightly flawed narrative, though. What do you mean? So, like, what part do you are you specifically pointing to as like finished? Uh, yeah, let me clarify. Bitcoin is like it's a Pandora's box that was opened, and now it's in the world, and there's no stopping it. Like Ethereum has a bunch of developers that it needs to take action to happen for Ethereum to continue. Like if all development around Ethereum like stopped, like the thing would probably fall apart at some point in time. Therefore, human interaction needs to come and patch those holes until we can get it to the point where it's also similar to Bitcoin where the Pandora's box was open and now it's just here and something that we have to live with because it perpetuates into the future. Safety and stats stats is talking about how Bitcoin is like, it's something that's unleashed upon the world and now it's here and there's no getting rid of it. Ethereum is not yet there, but the it's the whether you're a bitcoiner or an ethereum is in my mind determined on like are you captured by the bitcoin narrative where like it's already out in the world and it's going to be that way forever so you might as well but well buy some now or do you want to follow the path that some people are taking with like what happens when we research and and do research and development as to how to best improve the thing that comes out of the Pandora's box. When we do open Pandora's box, it'll be the most like gargantuan, cool, fucking awesome thing. Like when that does happen, what will come out of that box? That's Ethereum. And it's whether you fall on those two line uh, lines of the sand or not, I think is how you end up being in a Bitcoin or Ethereum. I mean, I would say your characterization of like the differences is probably pretty accurate there. Um, I would push back and I would say that there's a, there'd probably be a lot of Bitcoin developers that would push back and say like, no dude, if we stopped building on Bitcoin, like shit would break. Like we have to keep perpetuating this thing and sharpening the spear. Um, Really like the way I kind of like to think about it is like big, like, okay, Bitcoin is the spear and these developers are sharpening the tip, making it, making it better at being a spear. Whereas Ethereum is like, this thing is a weapon and they're literally adding more things onto, like they're making it different. They're, they're like taking pieces off of it and plugging new pieces into it. It's kind of like what you discuss is like, like, it's like, Hey, the, the, the paper press is, is out. And now the concept of the paper press or the, the printing press is out. That's like what Bitcoin is. Whereas Mm -hmm. like Ethereum is like, legitimately like they're researching how to make the finest of you know whatever and it's not like Mm -hmm. necessarily the concept or the idea of like this thing like i don't know i i i don't know if i'm even doing a better job of like adding to what you're saying but i would generally (laughs) agree with with your distinction yeah yeah but bitcoin development is constantly happening it's not like it's it's like this thing that's like just of of a different kind though right 
Yeah, I mean, and and to be honest, like the the ability for developers to impact the protocol is mm-hmm. very very limited compared to Ethereum. And I would say there's bull. <laughs> there's a there's very much a bull case that Bitcoiners would express that comes from that. I would say like to go on your spear analogy, uh, instead of you know, where Bitcoiners are sharpening and sharpening the spear, Ethereum is like researching like, but instead of, instead of even building a spear, Ethereum is researching like, all right, how do we have like, you know, carbon fiber technology with like triple folded steel to be extra penetrative? Like they're doing their R and they're unlocking the tech tree in order to build the best tree. They're not even, bo- or bo- they're not even bothered actually building that thing yet. That's thing. I, that's how I would I clarify that. Uh, so, metaphor. So, okay. So, speaking of like cognitive dissonance and like this specific debate, like you know what we just kind of illustrated of the differences. What would you say about like Lynn Alden's take that Bitcoin is a finished product and that Ethereum is an experiment? Because I saw a lot of pushback against that specific thing. Um, you know, kind of in the Twitter dialogue. Yeah. So my. I, I in the open reply that we published out of Bankless, I did a pretty decent job saying that, like, you know, if if Lynn Alden thinks that Ethereum is like this unfinished project that still has a bunch of development to do, that maybe will be suitable in the macro conversation in the future, but it isn't yet today. I'm like, sure, okay, fine. There were there were other th- uh, components about her piece that were um, straight up wrong, like, and and just a mischaracterization. But th- they were different from her criticisms of like Ethereum is just an unfinished project that's too small for the macro environment, which I totally agree in, agree about. That makes so much sense. Like it's, we're still developing it. We're still rolling out proof of stake. We're still rolling out sharding, blah, 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 blah. Like we're only $160 uh, billion market cap. And so by the time, if Lynn is ready as a macro investor to sit on her hands and wait for these things to roll out and wait for the market cap of Ether to go from a, a non-macro asset into a macro asset, like $160 billion into a trillion dollar asset, sure, she can wait and, and wait for Ethereum to be done when it's got a higher market cap, and then she can consider it in her macro perspective then. But that's just a different, like, what do you want to purchase as an asset? Do you want to purchase the pre-finished $160 billion token worth of Ether? Or do you want to finish the, the finished version of Ethereum that's got the $1 trillion market cap? Like Lynn Alden saying she's preferring the, the one with the $1 trillion market cap versus the one with the $160 billion market cap. And we all know in this space that like sometimes when the price of an asset goes up, it makes it even more of an attractive asset to purchase. Well, that's absolutely true for Bitcoin. Um, but <laughs> I don't know. See, this is where like then you get into the debate of where is Bitcoin going to be in like what happens with the network effects, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, does Ethereum and Bitcoin's network effects like live together? Are they do they, uh, do they work together, that? or yeah. or do they or do they ultimately kind of start to compete? Um, we've seen with other like monies that they mm-hmm. you know gold and silver aren't friends. Like mm-hmm. gold kicked the shit out of silver. Like gold going up right. is bad for silver in the long run. So I don't like, think we'll see that part of Bitcoin and Ethereum for like 50 years. Maybe. Yeah. But it, I mean, but the internet rolled out way faster than that. Okay. Like, sure. 30 are, like, years, 25 years. The, but Bitcoin and Ethereum are built on top of an internet in- infrastructure that already exists. Like I'm, I'm saying by the end of, by the end of the twenties, like we're in a Bitcoin world now. You think you like, think the victor between Bitcoin and Ethereum will be decided by the end of the twenties? 
Well, I think the victor of how we organize ourselves as a society is going to be decided by the tw- end of the 20s. In the next 10 years, we're reorganizing. Sure. But what does that mean about Bitcoin versus Ethereum? It's a, completely centered around Bitcoin, in my opinion. So what, what does that mean? Like the average, like instead of Venmo there, when denominating dollars, we're using something else and it's denominated in BTC. Like that's the average transaction between, between people like you and me by the end of this decade. Yeah. There's no way that is happening. There's no way. There's no way. 10 years okay. for to, to swap out the dollar. How? Okay. iPhone happened in 2008. When was it ubiquitous? I don't know. I mean, I, I no what, like we, we, we graduated college in 2015. We're I, didn't have a, here. I, I didn't have, I had a Blackberry up until sophomore year of college. Yeah. Well, you were a very late adopter then. I, I got an iPhone in high school. My, yeah. Yeah. I got my first iPhone five junior year of, of high school, of college. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, but yeah, by the time iPhone five was out, like bomb had iPhone five. <laughs> so that, that's yeah, eight really years for mobile. Like Blackberry. Okay. That's eight years for mobile. Okay. So, mm-hmm. um, if you, so now Bitcoin is built on top of the internet and mobile. Right. Like mobile's already yeah, here. Yeah, but it's also trying to displace it. Like, like what did the iPhone try and displace? Like, not much. Bitcoin is trying to displace the dollar. That's going to go a little bit fast, uh, like slower than the iPhone. The the US is displacing itself too. Sure. Hey, like you the know, dollar again, could I think- still be the like the unit, and Bitcoin could could still achieve all of your hopes and dreams from a from a, a from a number go up perspective. Yeah, I'm just really bullish. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Do you have anything else to talk about? Um, <laughs> we didn't talk about specific tokens. Um, oh yeah, you want to talk about specific tokens? Yeah, I mean, like, should what, I, should what I do pump you? My bags? Yeah, pump pump your bags on the show. And and if I could just say something about pumping bags, uh, people do talk uh, their book. Like, I agree with you that like you can be interested in your bags. That's authentic. But once you have bags, that influences your brain too. Yeah. Well, so what would you say you've been doing with your bags, your BTC bags on this podcast? Like, are you pumping your bags right now? Because you've been like saying, well, I don't know about all these other assets, but I do know about Bitcoin. I put my BTC bags in none of my other bags. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. I'm pretty Um, consistent on that. mm -hmm. I do want the DPI token, the DPI DeFi Pulse Index token to like be shield harder because it's of the uh, credible neutrality. And I still think it'll get um a pretty decent amount of DeFi exposure it won't get the micro caps and sometimes the micro caps are like where like all the action is um but like it's still got some pretty good stuff in there like ave and yfi and uni and those are my bags um and so if you buy the DeFi pulse index you're buying my bags by proxy um but yeah that's kind of where my head's at is like when everyone when anyone ever is going to ask me about like what should i do in DeFi, i'm just gonna say like you know dpi just do the dpi so just blue chip Mm-hmm. shit coins yep <laughs> and like that that'll scratch their itch for like DeFi exposure yet they won't like go like full dgen like lunacy into shit coins so i mean if someone wanted to go full dgen lunacy like how how does one even navigate that um so one of one of the things i've i've been considering with my bags lately is is to the point where we're at the, the point in the market where tokens that have historically like shown that they got what it takes 
will be the tokens that continue to show that for like the next six months. So like that narrative is there for extremely bullish, like Link, for example, which is pushing up against all-time highs. And I think both Aave and SNX fall into that category. Like tokens that have shown that number goes up, I think are the most fundamental tokens to put in your portfolio because they've shown number to go up. And so they're going to continue to go up because that's what they've done. <laughs> I think that's the most sound investment analysis I can think of. Uh, and so by, by pure result reflexivity, of, yeah, pure reflexivity. That's exactly right. So like that counts out tokens like YFI actually, and tokens like MKR, which have gotten kind of like these one of uh, YFI got it twice, one or two big pumps, but like there are now like bag holders of YFI, right there. This thing is kind of stale and MKR has been, has been flat for three years before it went from 500 to 1500 in like three days, but like that could be it. Like, and so that token has not shown what it, what it's got. And so like Link, Aave, SNX, uh, I think have shown that they've got what it takes for number to go up and therefore number shall continue to go up. Well, so you're, you're making kind of two distinctions and uh, I'm going to show the most recent Bitcoin Tina on Bitcoin podcast that I put out with Bitcoin Tina. Um, go check that out. The hardest trade. We talk about two scenarios, right? So we talk about three scenarios. And in the macrocosm for Bitcoin, we talk about the cycle, which David has talked about a lot here and we have referred about. Uh, but we also talked about what happens if the cycle breaks this time and Bitcoin just goes straight up into the right every single year. We also talked about what we would consider to be the hardest trade, which is what if Bitcoin reprices and then it's just flat. So the, that repricing and then flat, that sounds like MKR and Wi-Fi the reprice and then flat and then you just got to hold that chop like that is so hard and painful but when it reprices it's fucking awesome um and i feel like when like wi-fi it repriced pretty much zero to like 20k like there was a pretty Mm -hmm. fat dip there but in dollar terms it it repriced Mm -hmm. and it really just went flat from there that's kind of how I I use this as a metaphor to explain bull markets. Like th- the three years that's not a bull market, like the whole world has forgotten about crypto. And then like four years later, the investing class of the world is like, oh yeah, there's that whole crypto thing. Let me turn my attention to the cryptocurrency uh, industry. Oh, there's something going on here. Oh, this asset class is undervalued. They start throwing money in there. And then that momentum of people like turning their, their attention to the cryptocurrency and investing in it sends it through the roof. And then, it, and then it goes up and then it crashes. And then people forget about it for three more years because all people can take is just a little bit of crypto. Like, you know, six to nine months of crypto every four years is more than enough for most Six people. to nine months of shitcoining. Of shitcoining. Yeah, sure. But like... Uh, but, and then like people forget about it for four years, right? Prices like bleed out for like four years. And then people start to think about for some reason, they start to think about crypto again. It's like, oh, they look, look at the last three to four years of development and they say, oh, this asset class is undervalued. And they and, like throw a bunch more money in it. And then we get another bull market and then the cycle repeats, right? And so like, this is just the every four years, what a bull market is, is a great repricing. It's a great repricing of the industry. Right. Um, the, the question I think that you guys are asking on um, on the, the hardest trade with Bitcoin Tina, which I actually fell asleep to listening to last night. It was very cute. Um, is that what happens if the world doesn't forget about crypto this time? What happens if crypto actually comes into into the mainstream attention and then doesn't leave? 
Like what happens if people open up an app on their phone every single day and it's a crypto app? Like what, at some point the world isn't going to forget about crypto. And when is that going to happen? And I think it's totally right, reasonable to think that at least, especially with Bitcoin, the world could for not forget about Bitcoin now forever, right? I, I, th I think that could be a, a pretty justifiable argument to make. I mean, the macro narrative has completely changed. Like, I think Bitcoin today is a, in the grant, in like the, the general person's perspective is potentially a legitimate asset. Whereas like before 2020, it was for a majority of people, other than people who actually dove deep, it was not a legitimate asset. Um, wait, let's talk about uh, proof of work versus proof of stake and oh, like okay. sure. energy cognitive dissidence. Right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, there's a lot of, like, like we were saying earlier, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance about people not wanting to buy Bitcoin. And we saw this, I think there was like that FUD news cycle where like, there was like a quote unquote double spend. And then there was like a bunch of other just FUD about Tether that like, you know, and people like you and I have already dealt with that we knew is just a bunch of a hey, FUD. Um, but like something that I expect to happen is that a bunch of people will come into the space and like not purchase BTC on the premise that it's like a dirty non-green asset, right? And so they'll buy proof of stake assets uh, as a result of that um, because they don't want to help contribute to the energy. And I actually do think that this is like a viable like investment thesis. Like if you think that nation state or just people are just going to come on down on Bitcoin because of its mining surface area. I think, I think that could be a rational thing to, to think that, you know, um, Bitcoin will have extra friction as a result of its proof of workness. And I, I could see that happening. Yeah. I mean, I could see the FUD happening. I just don't know how effective the FUD is going to be as like an investment, like to invest again uh, or invest in, right? And like, mm -hmm. why are you investing in the anticipation of FUD versus in fundamentals? Sure. Um, yeah. And I mean, this this is something I believe in, and I think that the data shows this, and I think that the trends show this. But Bitcoin and proof of work in particular helps unlock and helps monetize stranded energy like this mm -hmm. this is a second pandora's box that has that is just being open right now and just being investigated right now and it's huge it's absolutely mm -hmm. huge um so it's one of those things that like it's a tough pill to swallow it i mean tough... but go ahead i mean it, it, the the like there is utility in proof of work like energy uh facilities that create energy mm -hmm. are significantly more profitable if they can sell all of their energy all of the time right they also they they work I mean, a no, lot you don't need to explain way. it to me i believe it 100 yeah. percent of the way i'm not um, i'm not trying to explain it to you i'm trying to yeah, explain yeah. it to the people on this call who don't believe it so when people can't consume all of the energy that is being produced all of the time mm -hmm. those energy facilities either throw away the energy or they turn off and then lose money because of that. So mm -hmm. that's either, either seasonally they turn it off or they actually just shut down like on a daily. Um, so what Bitcoin enables is you can either sell it to the grid. And when you're not selling it to the grid, you can always sell it to Bitcoin. Like mm -hmm. that's what, that's what this energy arbitrage that Bitcoin opens up. And that is worth way too much money. That creates so much efficiencies that you can't ignore it. Like 
the FUD is a lie. So how long do you believe the world can operate on a lie? I don't know. Well, I think this would fit into big, big, Bitcoiner thinking because like there's this, there's this is ought gap between what Bitcoin is and what Bitcoiners say it is, right? And and because they because there's extrapolation out into the future, it's a very young industry. We have to ex- extrapolate out, out into the future. Right now, Bitcoin is not clean. Like it's not a clean thing. It has perhaps clean and green tailwinds. And I, according to the Bitcoiner narrative around waste and energy and consumption with proof of work it would play out in the long-term benefit of the human race uh, because of just the perpetual forces backing it. But that's in the future. And then there's right now, and right now, Bitcoin, there is coal-mined Bitcoin uh, power so, okay, farms. So let's, there, are, there are dirty so Bitcoin let, mines. And there's this hot gap that we have to actually get there. So let's just talk real quick. How much energy is wasted with our current system? How much energy is wasted with our current inefficient uh, energy infrastructure, with our current inefficient practices of turning on and off? How much, how much sure. of our ecosystem are we destroying doing that? How so long our, do you think so why are we trying to have to explain that, that to people? Uh, that's, no, a good po- we, that's a good people point. People already know that it's bad. People already know it's bad. How, like what, if you say, we can't have a better system. We can't use Bitcoin to improve. What, mm-hmm. the, you are inversely perpetuating the other system. Like Bitcoin enables uh, solar energy to happen. It enables wind energy to happen because it provides that consistent energy needs mm-hmm. that are needed to justify building it in the first place without subsidies. Like right. what, essentially what these greenies are saying is, hey, don't do the Bitcoin thing. Let's do the energy greenies. <laughs> infrastructure without like a market incentive. And mm-hmm. like, let's just force people to do it through, you know, education. Like, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Like, you, you're just not going to educate your way to this. You're not going to, like, yeah. people are going to do what's economically viable and what makes sense. And Bitcoin aligns incentives there. And like, the is ought, I'm just saying, like, here's a huge problem. Bitcoin is mm-hmm. solving it. So the FUD that it's not green is like, it's rubbing up against friction. It's like rubbing mm-hmm. up against the reality that's proving that that's actually not that it's not the case and that bitcoin is moving away from this this blackness so okay whatever bitcoin is using bad energy right now because our energy infrastructure is bad right now mm. okay well bitcoin's also the incentive to fix it so mm-hmm. i mean if you are if you're arguing hey bitcoin is just bad right now like how do we fix our energy infrastructure like how do we improve that without sure either sticking guns to people's head and saying, stop driving those cars, stop building those kind of cars. You know, you have to do it this way mm-hmm. or you can get them to opt in. I think Bitcoin is a way better way to do it. Like yeah. I'm just saying, let's do that with an opt-in system that aligns incentives rather than saying, hey, let's do it with force, do it with government. I think, I think that makes sense. Uh, I just don't think that people are going to be convinced by that argument until like you, there's actually just real world evidence. Like we need more green quote unquote, Bitcoin mining facilities. You, you just need to be actual, actual to be able to point to something out in the real world rather than like provide the narrative or the thesis. Cause I think right now the position that you and Bitcoiners are in when they try and defend against this uh, proof of work FUD with, with these, I think decently well-reasoned arguments that extrapolate out into the future, you kind of, fit are positioned in the same way that like ethereum people who had to be convinced that like yes we are going to actually deliver ethereum 2.0 
you so many people i feel like that's that same position because like no one's going to give a fuck about what you're saying until like the it's wall actually of worry here. the wall of worry you know that it, it that's a reference like prices climb a wall of worry but mm-hmm. like there's always a wall of worry between here and like the the future trajectory of things uh maybe i i was more talking about how like the people that are, you're arguing again the bitcoin industry is arguing against with respect to this energy thing they're not going to convince any like these people that are that are on the other side of the argument until they have like real world evidence they're just yeah. gonna it has to actually so, manifest itself away so he, as a problem yeah yeah so here here's the thing is the people we're trying to argue against they're not doing their own research so mm-hmm. they're not going to change their mind until it's economically hurting them which mm-hmm. is what Bitcoin's going to do to them. So sure. that, that's what I'm saying is like, I don't think it's an investable thesis to say, I'm just going to invest on FUD and invest <laughs> on like continuing to perpetuate FUD. Right. So, right. I mean, maybe that's an investable thesis, but mm-hmm. I just don't think that's an investable thesis. Sure, I agree. I mean, I, I'm, maybe I'm just slamming my head against that wall, but I mean, like, I, do you think that the, I, I don't think that you think that the, the uh, environmental um, potential negative environmental impacts of Bitcoin mining is a reason to go for proof of stake. I think you have a lot of other reasons why you like proof of stake. And I just think that investing against proof of work is Mm -hmm. that's like investing with FUD. It's like investing is like, Hey, here's FUD. I'm going to invest on the premise that the FUD is going to continue. Like I just don't think that it's, it's a legitimate investable thesis for proof of stake in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think the energy conversation around Bitcoin is like, the, to me, the buck stops at like, A, there's nothing to say that Bitcoin doesn't deserve that energy. Like it could be an extremely valuable institution and it deserves to be able to consume that much energy. Um, it was that if there's a, the, the, I think some, the way like some Ethereans would argue is that like, well, if we can do Bitcoin, but without the energy, then we should, right? Like we have the ability to like, quote unquote, do Bitcoin like stuff without energy. Um, and maybe that's true, but like, I still don't think it's worth like rug pulling the right from Bitcoin to be able to exist in the first place, regardless of the energy, because it's, you know, people are contributing. It's, it's their, it's individuals, people's choice to add that to the system. Um, well, and again, I like, would say, we, we know, the, I would say that those Ethereans, you, you should outcompete Bitcoin though. Yeah. Like you, you literally agree. have to make something to outcompete Bitcoin right. if you want to, you know, do it better with, with it without the proof of work. Yeah. I would say anyone who's been in the crypto industry for longer than just a couple of years, who's still bringing up the FUD, uh, the proof of work FUD against Bitcoin is, is doing it with their bags. Cause like, it's just another way to like hammer on Bitcoin. It's like, yes, proof of, but yes, proof of work is consumptive. Like, okay. So but at least we have do- Bitcoin. Yeah. Yes. I mean, Again, I, I think that it unlocks potential. I think it's a, it's a huge plus. But let's talk about like uh, talk about like your arguments for proof of stake that are like outside of the belief that Bitcoin just uses a bunch of energy. Oh yeah, sure. So um, in the same way that like Bitcoin is the last buyer of of energy, Ethereum is something similar to with like capital and proof of stake, right? whatever you want to do with your ass with your capital, you can at least always put it into proof of stake. And maybe that's not the, the best comparison, but like um, uh, what was Nick Wall's argument? The the thing about like proof of stake is that it inherently like rewards bullishness, right? So if you have ether 
it, it, it rewards the most bullish ETH holders most of all, right? So like it, you, the amount of reward that you get is proportional to how bullish ETH you are. And so like, what do ETH bulls want the most other than more ether, right? And so it doesn't matter how, like if you're just a little bit or a lot bullish on ether, or on ether, the most bullish people will always put in ether into proof of stake because they are rewarded with ether. And these people are the people that are intrinsically holders. They don't want to sell. They want to hold because that's who they are. They're holders or ETH holding stakers. And so the, the ETH that they're getting from this proof of stake system isn't leaving their pockets because they're holders because that's who they are. Uh, and so that's just inherently bullish because A, there's extremely low inflation for the narrative, right? Like in proof of stake Ethereum, there's less than 1% issuance. And then there's even less than that after we start deleting some with EIP 1559. So there's basically no new flows of Ether into the free flow, right? Um, and so that's inherently a bullish phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, I think like I could pick about a bunch of things that I think w- make that not very competitive for money um but that doesn't necessarily make it not bullish sure yeah so like big bitcoin miners they got to sell bitcoin right they are they are net sellers of bitcoin because they pow is bills. a coin distribution system pos right. is not exactly and that's that's bullish <laughs> that's just bullish it's actually Born. a coin sucking uh system it's yeah but but I feel like that doesn't make like that makes it less competitive for money as well as EIP one five, five, nine. What's the argument there? Because it's not neutral or not fair. Well, the dist- the fair distribution of money is really freaking important and like making sure it's dispersed as this. well as easily, you know, kind of capturable and, 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 you know, mm-hmm. I guess in some way fairly, you know, you know, creatable. Um, mm-hmm. Vitalik has a blog post about his concern because this is one of his big concerns about proof of stake is that, well, it actually doesn't spread out the capital. It actually just kind of centralizes it. And his rationale for why this was okay is that the, the compounding rewards to proof of stake are so slow in ETH terms that if you ever want to be able to cash in on your ether and actually like live a luxurious life because of the ether that you have compounding, you actually have to sell more than you can compound because specifically that interest rate is somewhere between like two to 6% for ETH in ETH terms at maturity. Like people are going to be selling over the, over the length of their lives are going to be selling more than they are going to be accumulating. Right. Um, and so that the, he thinks that the, the returns on capital are so low that you actually don't get that centralization of assets. That was his kind of counter argument. I find it relatively compelling. I don't know. Like, again, like where's I, in terms of like that thesis for Ethereum as money, like, okay. And then like, is money only like, can you break money into different parts? Can like money just be a store of value? Like the, I think there's a lot of examples of stores of value that aren't money. So not to say that if Ethereum is not money or it's not the thing that we denominate the world and doesn't capture that market, that ETH can't be a store of value, that proof of stake ETH can't be a bullish investment. I'm mm-hmm. just kind of 
you know, in terms of like money, you want it to be very, very fairly distributed and like the least centralized as possible. Um, in terms of like EIP 1559, um, the destruction of money that changes the stock to flow in a negative direction. So it destroys stock um, while flow is kind of consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if you look at copper, silver, um, lesser metals from a monetary perspective to gold, they all have lower stock to flows than gold. They all mm-hmm. have less stock, like protecting, essentially preventing and uh, preventing the flow. I mean, you know, and I guess, you know, theoretically EIP, uh, theoretically, you know, in this perfect world, Ethereum is always, you know, deflating in the amount of currency out there. But mm-hmm. that's not, also not set in stone. That's just theoretically, if all the game theory works out. Um, well, there so, should be some I equilibrium mean, between the issuance and the de- and the deletion, so that one should never sure. meaningfully outstrip the other, other over the long term. Yeah, and I, I guess you know, and I just don't know. Like these are just kind of criticisms I've brought out mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. like, just it makes it either questionable or less good of a money from a, like a monetary perspective than Bitcoin. Um, I think so. That's what. That's kind of why I'm just pushing back there. I think we should strike the word money from all conversation and we should never, ever use the word money again because money is such a subjective term that when you say, well, I don't think it's money, like you could mean something totally different than like almost anyone else that's using the term money. Money is pretty undefined. And so I think if we, if no we money, instead, just talk about money is the universal value measuring system. Money is like something something that is money is <laughs> the riskless asset. Okay. I need to think about this more. But what I would meant to say is that when people say like, oh, ETH is money or BTC is money, it, when it's trying to be the thing that it is, it kind of manifests itself differently with every sort of medium. Like the US dollar is also money. Rye stones are also money. All these monies are different. And I no. think when-, when The US dollar is the most hold money on, thing. When, when people say like, oh, like ETH is money, what they're really intentionally saying is like, oh, I'm on team ETH or saying like, oh, BTC is money. They're saying like, oh, I'm on team BTC. I don't find money to be an inherently like dependable word semantically to, to be able to debate about. Yeah, no. So I think that this is like Ethereans throw around the word money loosely and Bitcoiners mean it very expressly, intent. which is why, yeah, with intent. Okay, well, let's get the Bitcoiner definition of, of money and then let's wrap this up. I mean, there it's divisibility, uh, identifiability slash verifiability, mm-hmm. um, saleability across time and space. And then, There's I mean, things. they would say that the, the uh, ability to protect you against inflation is an extremely competitive aspect of it. Um, mm. and, they would, and they would argue that from a unit of account perspective, as well as preventing, uh, protecting you against inflation, 21 million is the perfect. So, I mean, that, that's the Bitcoin definition, express definition of money. I mean, I'm sure that Ethereans would say Bitcoin's not sustainable. Inflation mm-hmm. will have to be implemented. I, I, that's a theory in my perspective. Um, but ultimately, like... You know, that's why they would say Bitcoin is the best money. And that's our definition for money. It's a very clear thing. And they would say that money is absolute something that has dominant network effects. Like, okay, hey, there's all these fiat currencies. But if you look at contracts that are denominated 
it's like 95% USD. Mm. So it's like, yeah, all these fiats exist. But when it comes to like what really matters, it comes to like, you know, the commerce that's happening across the globe, 95% USD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that explanation for Bitcoin also fits the whole Bitcoin is gold 2.0 uh, narrative because like all of gold strengths are just are what that was to me. And but also just it's way better with Bitcoin. Right. I feel like that's that's kind of where the Bitcoin gold 2.0 if you really want to get into like the depths of what that means, it's no, it's no, it's not just like the new version of gold. It's, it's gold with all of its positive characteristics, but even better. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the gold 2.0 narrative. Cool. Whether that makes it money or not, I do not know. So, I mean, what's your definition of like, I mean, like, okay, Ethereum's virtue signal saying ETH is money. It's saying that means I'm on team ETH. I think that Ethereum can replace the, the, uh, BTC as the de facto reserve currency of crypto. That's what they mean when they say ETH is money. But like, what do they really like believe in That's, terms of like unit of account, things like that? I, I think the whole ETH is money thing, the, you know, yay team ETH thing is maybe that's what some cohort of people are are doing uh what, what the whole eth was eth is money thing was really trying to get a plant a flag on is that ether is actually valuable and necessarily so right and and also DeFi will use it in the same way kind of bitcoin is used in in the legacy world as collateral right eth and the value locked in eth is valuable and is one of its best characteristics and ETH, therefore eth is money it was trying to like slap around the one it was, it was literally one half of the ethereum ecosystem trying to slap around the other half of the ethereum ecosystem which the other half was like you know let's not talk about price let's not talk about you know the moneyness of these things let's just talk about building and then the other people was like no like eth is valuable we need to like make a meme about this to say that and so the eth is money meme is born I don't really like to say ETH is money because I think it's just like overly reductive. Uh, I, in my article, ETH a triple point asset, I talked about how ETH is a new model for money. Like it's going to reinvent what we understand money to be. And whatever it is, it's going to be whatever. I, I, and I, I could include Bitcoin in this. Bitcoin is a money and Ether is a money. And these are kind of the coolest, newest monies on the block. There are two monies. Yeah, I mean, because if you want to do anything on Ethereum, you can't get away from Ether. You have to use it every step of the way, every single time. So like if Ethereum actually does come to be the economy in the same way Bitcoin wants to become gold 2.0 and and also the unit of account, everyone's going to need to put Ether on their balance sheet. Yeah, I mean, I just don't know if Ether is going to become the economy or how finance is going to play into the future. But uh, that is for another POV crypto podcast. This was a very wide-ranging one. Uh, it, it was almost like two podcasts just because uh, we had the breakup where uh, we your internet cut out. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Should we wrap this up? Yep, that's the wrap-up. <laughs> cool. All right, you guys. You can follow the podcast at POV Crypto Pod. You can follow me at Trustless Day, both on Twitter and on Bankless. Christian? You guys can follow me at CK underscore Snarks. Peace.
It's up, then it's up for you to decide. 